Yes, a bit of glamour, I think, we need now. And to the grand days of the 1950s and 60s Melbourne fashion, when the city was home to a buzzing fashion design and clothing manufacturing sector. Some of the dresses and the suits and coats from the era may still be hanging in your wardrobe, perhaps your parents' wardrobe, or from an op shop rack waiting to be discovered. One Melbourne label that helped put Australian couture on the map has been mostly forgotten. And our last guest today would love your help in discovering any lost garments made by the label's designer, Charlotte Blau. The label is called Charlotte Fifth Avenue, and it's the latest focus focus of fashion historian Tom McAvoy. He does amazing detective work bringing together old fashion collections that have been scattered to the four winds, and he then stages fashion shows with the recovered pieces. Hi, Tom. It's a pleasure to have you on the show. I'll bring some. Um, I'll bring some. A slight change of yes um, <laughs> after AUKUS and uh, <laughs> yeah, and um, you know renewable energy. That's what we thought. Yeah. We thought listeners need that. Tell us a yeah. little, if you wouldn't mind, about uh, Charlotte Fifth Avenue and why you're interested in trying to find more clothes made under this label. I, there's so many so many levels to it. A lot of it has to do with okay. I'll try and tick as many boxes as I can. Number one. Um, like any kind of art form, fashion, if a lot of people are being inspired from very limited sources, the same same stories, the same brands, the same histories, you know, we're not the we're not really allowing people to look beyond what's just being fed to them. So I'm trying to open it up to say, yes, we can be inspired by the greats of Europe and the greats of Japan and but Australia produced some incredible designers, except we're just not as lucky to have a huge industry behind us promoting promoting us out into the world. Right. And so, uh, so would you say that this Charlotte uh, Fifth Avenue story is a classic example of this? Because she she did have quite – I mean, she had a real clientele and, and she was known, wasn't she? But you're just saying uh, not nearly as much as she could have been, like someone like Chanel. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I think when when people think couture, they don't exactly look towards Australia um, back in that time as well. But I, you know, but some people forget as France was recovering from the war, Australia was the only country in the entire world to buy the entire Paris collection. It made news internationally. Mm-hmm. That was in the late nineteen forties. So, you know, every time we look at these greats like Chanel, Dior, and Givenchy, Balenciaga, etc. You know, Australia was really heavily investing into it because um, that was one thing we really believed in is um, the the beauty and the joy that came. Well, the, comes the women's the women's weekly made a huge uh, <laughs> contribution to that, didn't it? Seriously, yeah, <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so so Charlotte was um, Charlotte was one of these labels where back in its time, yes, it was definitely really celebrated. But and I can understand on a rational point of view is that fashion was always really looking forward. So. Um, yeah, so when, when a fashion house retires, it's not like they make any royalties. It's not like they um, can c- continue to sort of promote themselves. Kind of, fashion is kind of brutal in that way. We, they just end and then on to the next. Right. I mean, her gowns were sold overseas, you know, Saks Fifth Avenue, for instance, mm-hmm. and she was her creations were prized by um, photographers like Helmut Newton, Athol Smith. And so, I mean, she, she, she had her time, didn't she? And maybe you can just flesh that out for us, please. Yeah, I guess. So what's interesting to me is, um, you know, I did my master's. I went through the, the fashion industry 
and the, the academic side of things. And I saw that a lot of teaching is trying to get students to each, like you have a class of 12, 12 design students and then you've got 12 designers going out there by themselves trying to make it. But the great thing with the Charlotte story is that it was from a time where a lot of families were getting involved. So um, I can think of so many different labels like LV Hill and you've got Nanette Creations where, you know, the, the designer, someone like Charlotte, she would be the designer and then her husband would just absolutely support her in getting her fashions out into the world because being a fashion designer makes it hard to have time to be your own marketing, advertising, logistical, promotional person as well. We must tell this story, but I do. what were her dresses like? Can you describe some of them? Um, yeah, so we're thinking, um, so she had always incredible fabrics a lot of the time, so embroidered florals or jacquards, um, you can just tell it's not just a flat 2D print a lot of the time. There was always detail in the fabric itself um, because she was able to create, um, I guess, like a lot of ball gowns, I guess, cocktail wear. And um, one of her signatures is always uniqueness. So I, I guess we're going back to a time where you would fear being seen in the street if that makes sense, like yes. seeing yourself in the street in terms of like someone else wearing what you're wearing. Yes. I mean, they were, from what, you know, you sent us, they were lush. I don't mean in a florid way, but they were lush. They were expensive. They were observably expensive <laughs> and mm. therefore treasured. Um, I wonder why you haven't fa- come across more pieces. I want, uh, may, may they be overseas in the US, for instance? <laughs> no, I do. I do check Facebook Marketplace in the US every time. Uh, not you know, now and then just to, just to see if anything comes up, but sadly, no. Um, yeah, well, I guess um, each, so if, if we think back to the 1970s and 90, so 1970s and 1980s, there was a big denim craze, lots of denim jackets and denim pants, staggers and just jeans, all those big labels. And sometimes garments go so far out of trend that some people think it'll never be back in trend or, Younger, younger people think I'm, I have no use for this garment of my mum's because I'll, I'll look like my mum and they just sort of toss them out. So um, fashion can be a very brutal industry where if something doesn't fit the current style, it can be definitely thrown away. Now you and just possibly. Yes. Yeah. Uh, just, you just must tell us the story of Charlotte and her, and her husband because it is a glorious story. Um, okay, so... I guess so. I've I've met the family and I I got to speak to them. Gina Goldsmith, um, who's the daughter of Charlotte Blau, and it's a really really interesting story because I can't even I can't even imagine myself in her in her shoes where she was studying at the Bauhaus University um, in Germany uh, architecture, and the Third Reich came into power and then obviously they were really controlling culture and everything had to abide by its, you know, its Mm. laws and theories on life, everything. So obviously fearing for her safety, um, she fled and um, she turns up in um, Constantinople, which is Istanbul in Turkey today, Um, was able to get a job in architecture, but that soon falls through as the world economy starts to absolutely crash. She was um, on the streets. She was, you know, pretty much homeless. And then um, she 
was, I wouldn't say she was saved. I don't know if she was saved, but she was definitely helped dramatically by a man who passed by who thought that she looked... She was on her downers, shall we say. She was, yeah, on her downers. <laughs> and then obviously, you know, through helping her and through giving her a place to live, um, even though he had a partner at the time, love started to bloom um, and, yeah, and it turned out that he was um, he was linked to the um, the British the British government, so he, he may or may not be doing some spying at the yes. time. Yes, and that was Willie Blau. And, yeah. And that became this amazing uh, partnership which produced uh, Charlotte, um, uh, Charlotte Fifth Avenue. Now, just because I'm watching the time, in particular, yeah. you're keen, you want to bring this out much more and you want people to contact you. You're going to be at the Melbourne Fair next weekend with a stand where people can bring items in. You're trying to prompt yes. people to look. It's a bit Absolutely. like the BBC Antique Roadshow, is it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's exactly it. In terms of... You might spark um, a lot that you don't want. Yeah, because a lot of people have things that maybe not know the story. So I've researched about 10,000 fashion labels, 1900 to about 1980. And that's just, you know, textile houses, knitwear, um, even fashion agents. And so much goes, I mean, it was the third biggest employer in Australia. It was the third biggest moneymaker in Australia. Right. It was fashion in the 60s. So there's so much history and it's lying sometimes dormant in our, in our wardrobes. Okay. Or, yeah. Well, look, thank you, Tom, um, for very much. It's lovely. I haven't interviewed a fashion anthropologist before, so I do appreciate your time. No, I thank you very much. And Tom will be at the four-day Melbourne Fair of Vintage Furniture, Art and Couture at Caulfield Racecourse to give a talk uh, next weekend. So you might enjoy that. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.